Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. The Resurrectionists are some of the most feared and loathed of Malifaux's factions. Many practitioners of this morbid art prefer the company of corpses to that of living men and women. But no man is an island, and even Resurrectionists occasionally let loose. In tonight's story, a young woman gets her first taste of power and her first glimpse of Malifaux's darkest underbelly. I hope you enjoy part one of Dead Man's Ball, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Cheapside Necropolis. Can't afford a fancy plot in one of them downtown cemeteries with iron mort safes? But your dearly departed can still be buried or burned with dignity. At Cheapside, we guarantee the grave won't be disturbed for at least 24 hours, giving you plenty of time to pay your respects and say goodbye. After that, it's anyone's game. Entry is only 25 script. Bring your own shovel. The Dead Man's Ball by Christopher Gorham Gwen laid the silver dagger gently, reverently on the square of dark cloth laid out across the floor of her room. She'd wanted black velvet, of course, but Mrs. Dearly down at the clothiers had run out of black dye and wasn't sure when the next shipment would make it through the breach, and velvet was expensive and conspicuous, so she'd had to settle for a dark blue linen. The colour of midnight, she quietly assured herself. She took a moment to admire the design she'd embroidered into the fabric. A sweeping ring, adorned with tiny symbols. A nagging doubt reminded her that she wasn't entirely sure what the symbols represented. She'd simply started stitching in whatever fashion felt most natural, and they had emerged. They could have been letters in some kind of alphabet, perhaps but not one she'd ever seen before. The red thread stood out starkly against the blue. Crimson like blood, she thought, though in truth she knew it was a few shades too bright. And it lent the proceedings a proper air of dignity. The tallow candles flickering and dripping at each corner of the linen helped too. Next to the dagger, gleaming softly in the candlelight, was her greatest treasure. A tiny shard of soulstone, barely larger than a grain of sand, but charged and potent. It had taken weeks of scrimping and saving to afford it, even with the allowance from her parents' estate. Now that it was in her possession, she had everything she needed. The circle of power, the ritual knife, 
and the magic stone. And, of course, the puppy. Gwen realized that her eyes had been avoiding the center of the circle where the puppy lay. Something about the way that his body was twisted, the perfect stillness of his form, brought up some unfamiliar emotion, a wrenching in her gut that she couldn't quite put into words. Pushing that feeling aside, she forced herself to look. He lay on his side, legs sprawled and limp. The tip of his tiny pink tongue poked out of his snout, just like it had sometimes when he was sleeping. When he was alive. Take the blade, came the whisper. She still couldn't tell whether she was hearing the words or thinking them. The voice she was certain was her own, but the things it said were certainly not. There was an urgency to its words, a strength and confidence that she had never been able to imitate, and which she found difficult to resist. Sometimes it required her, compelled her, to do things she would rather have avoided. Most of all, it had knowledge. Secrets she was not privy to. Events she hadn't witnessed. Magic the likes of which she could barely understand, but she was learning fast. She picked up the knife. Cut the flesh. Kneeling on the hard wooden floor, she reached over the circle and held the puppy's body. His fur was soft and thick under her fingers. Carefully, she placed the tip of the dagger against his ribs. She could feel it was in the right spot, though she wasn't sure why. She presumed it was over his heart. Taking a shaky breath, she pressed down. Making the incision was more difficult than she'd expected. In her mind, the knife should have slid in clean and easy, but she had to put some of her own weight behind it, forcing it between the puppy's ribs. When she felt it was deep enough, she reached for the soulstone shard, anticipating the next instruction. Plant the seed. The soulstone was slightly warm as she rolled it between her fingers. With her other hand, she withdrew the dagger and placed it carefully aside. Then, reaching forward. The knock on the door was so startlingly loud that she dropped the tiny stone. Her heart pounded. Who could it be? She blanched at the thought of having to explain the dead dog to Mrs. Bletcham who ran the house. Or worse, could she have been found out by the death marshals already? She cast about frantically for something to cover her ritual or a place to hide. From the other side of the door, she heard soft giggling, and her panic turned to rage. Go away, she roared, fuming as the giggles turned to mock screams and a pattering of feet as Mrs. Bletcham's twin girls retreated to find another victim for their game. Gwen took a few deep breaths to try and calm herself before an icy fear gripped her. Where was the stone? Dropping to her hands and knees on the wooden floor, she searched frantically. Hands sweeping, eyes darting. She smoothed the midnight fabric, checking its wrinkles for any hidden gleam. Minutes passed, and her despair deepened. If she never found it, then all this was for nothing. Just as she was on the verge of giving up, she felt an uncomfortable pricking on her left foot. 
Surely it couldn't have... Before she'd even finished the thought, she was sitting on the floor, her shoe in one hand and the tiny soul stone in the other. A feeling of relief welled up inside her, spilling out in a gale of uncontrollable laughter. Even to her own ears, it sounded a bit mad, but she couldn't stop. So she sat and laughed silently, rocking back and forth, tears streaming down her face. Plant the seed. The instruction was more insistent this time, and she resumed her work with renewed focus. She inserted the stone into the incision she'd made in the puppy's flank, and using her little finger, forced it deep into the creature's body. The press of internal organs against her skin made her squirm a bit, but this was no time to be squeamish. She'd have to get used to this sort of thing. Speak the words. This was the easy part. The words filled her mind, and all she had to do was open her mouth and let them loose. She had no idea what they meant, but she could feel their power. It gave her goosebumps. The little dog's legs began to twitch and kick as she chanted, as if he were chasing rabbits in his sleep. The cut in his side closed over with only a scar to mark its passing. Her excitement grew, and the last few words flew from her in a near shout. Then everything was still. The puppy opened its eyes. They were creamy white, without pupils, but he seemed to be able to see her just fine. He scrambled to his feet and barked at her, though it came out as more of a gurgling croak. She held out her hand and he sniffed her fingers, then nuzzled in so she could scratch behind his ears. Good boy. Who's a good boy? she cooed. You are. Yes, you are. She hadn't been sure exactly what the result of the ritual was going to be, but this seemed a resounding success. The puppy didn't look healthy exactly, but he certainly wasn't dead. He stared up at her with his milky eyes. You need a new name, don't you? Something befitting of your new station. I think we'll call you... Terror. The little dog made another soggy yap, which he took as an approval, and the matter was settled. Gwen had spent so much time planning the ritual that she hadn't had a chance to think about what she was going to do afterwards. She watched him explore the room, poking his nose into every corner, and wondered how she was going to keep him secret. Mrs. Bletcham's nosy children would definitely find out sooner or later. Would he still need to eat? Her train of thought was derailed by an almighty racket at the room's only window, a cracking impact that made her jump then a flurry of thumps and scratches that shook the pane. Through the bottle-green glass, she could only make out a shadow of beating wings. The bird seemed determined to break in or beat itself to death. Terror dashed across the room and scrabbled at the windowsill with a wretched, bubbling howl. All this noise was sure to draw attention, so Gwen did the only thing she could think of. She hurried to the window and pulled it open. For once it didn't get stuck, then leapt back as the bird flew in and circled the room, coming to rest on her desk. It sat and glared at terror. It was a big, glossy raven, with nothing more than a few feathers out of place from its fight with the window. Gwen watched as it methodically smoothed them back into place, then ruffled itself up to appear twice its normal size and let out a guttural call. There was something fixed around one of its legs. Gwen's curiosity overcame her hesitation. 
The raven fixed her with one beady eye as she approached, but didn't resist as she unfastened a slip of paper from its cunning little message case. As soon as she'd taken it, the raven launched itself past her and disappeared out the window. Gwen unfurled the tightly folded message. In a flamboyant but oddly inconsistent hand, it read, You're invited to the inaugural Dead Man's Ball, tonight at the old opera house. Bring your finest creation for the exhibition. What in the world? Ow! Terra's needle-sharp teeth gnawing on her heel were a reminder that she hadn't had a moment to put her shoe back on. She pushed him off, and he came running back at her, snapping. Terra, no. Bad dog, down, she reprimanded. Shoving him away again, she commanded, Play dead. The puppy immediately went stiff-legged and fell over with a thump, and for a moment she thought she'd actually killed him again. His eyes, almost closed, watched her slyly. What can it mean? she mused, looking over the invitation as she wriggled back into her other shoe. She didn't know anyone who would invite her to a ball, let alone one with such a dramatic name. For that matter, she knew of only one opera house, and it wasn't particularly old. And who would deliver such a thing via raven? For that matter, how? The Dead Man's Ball She resisted the obvious conclusion, searching for alternative explanations, but finding none. Eventually, she was forced to admit to herself the unthinkable. Someone had identified her as a resurrectionist. The thought filled her with panic. She'd been so careful. She was sure that Mrs. Bletcham suspected nothing. The dealer who'd arranged her soulstone purchase had definitely been shady, but she'd been very discreet about her plans for it, and he hadn't pressed her on the subject. As she mentally eliminated her list of suspects one by one, she wondered at the intent of the message. Was it to draw her out, to lure her into a trap? Were there death marshals waiting outside in the shadows ready to pounce? She tried to calm her swirling thoughts. The death marshals wouldn't need to plan an elaborate ruse. If they knew what she was up to, they'd simply kick the door down and arrest her, or kill her on the spot. That notion wasn't exactly calming, but at least it didn't seem to reflect her current circumstances. Another resurrectionist, then. The thought sent a shiver of excitement down her spine. She had just successfully completed her first ritual, after all. Perhaps the raven was simply attracted by her magic. That in itself was worrisome. If a mere bird could detect it, surely others could too. She would have to learn to conceal the process somehow. Terra, apparently deciding that he'd played dead for long enough, laid his head on her foot and whined. Do you want to go out? she asked, making her decision. The chance to meet another practitioner of the dark arts. The words sounded ridiculous and childish in her head, but she wasn't sure how to properly address such a person, was not one to be missed. Come on, we need to find out where the old opera house is, and I suppose I need a new gown. Gwen was beginning to regret her decision. The old opera house as she'd learned from a sharp-faced clerk at the library, was deep in the quarantine zone, a relic of old Malifaux. 
The area had been explored by the Guild, but deemed too costly to reclaim for unspecified reasons. It hadn't been terribly difficult to sneak into the quarantine zone. When she'd been a few years younger, much to the consternation of her governess, she'd often escaped to play with the street children. Venturing into the zone, though never too far, had been one of their favourite adventures. She was much further into the zone now than she'd ever been before, and the pleasant evening was beginning to fade with the promise of a cold and bitter night. The deep green satin of her dress was very flattering, but did almost nothing to protect her from the steadily rising wind. Terror trotted along at her heels, seemingly unaffected by the cold. It was getting dark very quickly, and a thick fog was building. Out here, away from the lights of the city, the night would be all but impenetrable. The sickly light from Delios, just now beginning to rise, would not be enough to let her find her way. She pulled her black lace shawl tightly around her shoulders and hurried through the abandoned streets. Well, almost abandoned. Was that a flicker of movement in the corner of her eye? The briefest glimpse of a pale face watching her through a broken window? Perhaps it was just shadows playing tricks on her eyes. From somewhere far too close for comfort, a gravelly howl split the still air. Gwen skidded to a stop and froze. The howl came again, and was answered by another, and another, each subtly different, but equally chilling. She tried to locate them, but the stark, crumbling faces of ancient buildings sent echoes from every direction. The darkness pressed in on her, suffocating. There were eyes in the fog. She could see them glowing faintly, moving obliquely, cautiously circling but remaining fixed on her. Terror growled, his hackles raised, head low and sweeping from side to side as he tried to keep them all in view. The darkness moaned back, a low and mournful chorus. She could feel them closing in. All around, she could hear feet slapping in lurching steps, claws clicking on stone cobbles and, faintly, in the distance, hoofbeats? She cast about for something to use as a weapon. She wasn't about to resort to slapping feebly with her handbag like some hapless grandmother accosted by a thug. A twisted metal rod caught her eye, and she yanked it free from a pile of debris. It looked like a bar from a jail window that had been wrenched free with great force. The cold metal was heavy and slick, but she gripped it tightly in both hands and hefted it, drawing confidence from the weapon, and turned to face whatever was coming. A figure stumbled out of the fog towards her. It looked like a man, but she barely had time to register its features, hollow cheeks, bared teeth and sunken, milky eyes, before her makeshift club connected with its jaw. With a sickening crack, its head snapped to the side, a handful of teeth flying free from its gaping mouth, and it crumpled to a heap as she stumbled backwards. Another zombie, a creature that she guessed had once been some kind of large dog, advanced from the shadows. Some of the flesh had sloughed away from the dog's face, and the light gleamed off the exposed bone of its skull. She brought the bar down on its head, and one of the thing's eyes sprang loose, dangling grotesquely from its socket. More figures shuffled around it as it fell. Bind the dead, came the whisper.
make them serve. Her back bumped into a rough brick wall as she tried to back away, so she took what she hoped was a defiant stance, held out her hand and commanded, Stop! One of the creatures. She guessed it had been a young woman, because it was wearing a tattered bonnet, though the face beneath it was barely recognisable as human, surged forward and slammed her into the wall hard enough to knock the breath from her body, and the bar from her hand. The zombie pressed in, and Gwen braced her forearms across its throat as it lunged, jaws snapping barely an inch from her face. She could see every line and wrinkle in the woman's sagging greyish skin. The traces of makeup lingering around its eyes, the brown stains of rot spreading through her teeth. Somewhere, in a detached part of her mind, she wondered how she could see so clearly. Where was the light coming from? When had the hoofbeats gotten so loud? It took every ounce of her strength to shove her assailant off, back into the advancing throng of walking corpses. Gwen felt as though she ought to be terrified, but all she had inside was anger. How dare you touch me, she hissed at the zombie woman. Her eyes were hot, but she wasn't crying. It felt like there was steam build up in her head, looking for a way to escape. She took a step forward and the zombie cringed away. You are f There was a sudden movement in the fog, and the creature's head exploded with a noise like a giant cracking an egg. Gwen was just quick enough to cover her face before the spray of gore hit. She felt bone fragments patter against the sleeves of her new dress and fall to the cobbles. Sorry, miss, said a slightly sheepish voice. She lowered her arms. There was warm lamplight filtering through the fog, and a dark shape silhouetted against it. The silhouette was holding a shovel, and using it to prod the headless body of the young woman. I wasn't sure if this lassie was going to go for you again, see? It looked like you had things under control, so to speak, but some of these rotters can be downright tricksy. Gwen looked around for the other zombies, but it seemed they had scattered into the mist. She circled carefully around the dark figure, until she could see his face in the lamplight. He had a calm, jovial smile that seemed quite at odds with having just decapitated a dead woman with a garden implement. Won't be fooling anyone now, though, he continued, wiping brain matter off the blade of his shovel with a well-used hanky. Now then, miss, what brings you out here after dark? No place for young ladies, especially not alone. Terror, who had been hiding behind Gwen's skirts, jumped out and gave a sharp bark to indicate that she was most certainly not alone and that he resented the accusation. Gwen shushed him but the man carried on without pause. Probably best if you come with us, really. Well, maybe. He seemed lost in thought for a moment, as if working out a complex problem. Almost certainly better than getting eaten by a pack of hungry corpses at any rate. Er, uh, hopefully, he finished, with what was clearly meant as a reassuring grin. Gwen's head was spinning, but she had many questions clamouring to be voiced. Who, she began... But the man's chatter was relentless, as he led her gently towards the light, which turned out to be coming from the lanterns of an elaborate carriage, complete with four black horses and two footmen. Another question surfaced. How had this man managed to sneak an entire carriage past the guards? I hope you don't mind me saying, miss, that's a very nice dress. Not particularly good for exploring, and it might need cleaning up a bit now that you're wearing half of that poor girl's head, but it's proper fancy. 
You were already headed to the dead man's ball, weren't you? He winked conspiratorially, without bothering to wait for her to answer. It just so happens that's where we was going. Serendipity, that's called. I'm sure you'll be the <laughs> life of the party, as it were. There aren't too many practitioners of the uh, female persuasion, you see. A pretty young thing like you's bound to turn some heads, eh? He reached up to knock against the side of the carriage. One of the footmen leaned over to observe them. In the lamplight his face looked waxy and desiccated, and his teeth showed in a rictus grin. There's a certain young lady to see you, sir. She'd like a ride to the ball. Gwen started as the carriage door flew open to reveal a tall, sharply dressed older man. He wore an intense expression, somewhere between eagerness and anger, though Gwen had never been particularly good at reading emotions. As his dark eyes met hers, though, his face immediately softened into a practiced mask of politeness. I'm sorry, my dear. I was expecting someone else. Do come in. He looked thin and pale, but his voice was deep and rich. He shot a momentary glare at his companion, who grinned and offered a hand to help Gwen up the stairs. Inside, the carriage was well-appointed, if a little ostentatious. Gwen settled onto a seat of plush crimson velvet, and Terra bounded up the steps and into her lap. The old man's eyebrows arched spectacularly. Is that yours? He reached out a hand towards the puppy. He began to growl. May I? May I what? Gwen wondered. But out of politeness, she said, You may. I'm not certain that he'll let you, though. My name is Gwenifer Howell. How do you do? He smiled a thin smile. Ah, my manners. Nicodem. At your service, my dear. The carriage lurched into motion, but Nicodem's attention remained fixed on terror, whose rattling snarl was becoming steadily more threatening. The extended hand came within inches of the dog's teeth, and Gwen could feel the dog's little body shift and tense to spring. Suddenly, the old man clicked his fingers. In the close quarters, the snap was shockingly loud, and Terra went abruptly and completely rigid. Oh, was all Gwen could manage. Nicodem picked up the puppy by one leg and turned him over in his hands, giving him a thorough examination. Soulstone implantation, he mused. A curious method. Rather wasteful. Though it should keep the body well preserved. Entirely too much autonomic motivation, I would suspect. Tell me, does it follow your bidding? He. And I suppose so, mostly. I haven't had time to train him yet. Nicodem nodded gravely. I thought as much. Psychic contamination, you see. It complicates the relationship. Allows room for disobedience. Never a good idea in my experience, he reflected, tapping distractedly on his left leg, which Gwen suddenly realized was a mechanical prosthetic. Forgive the assumption, he continued, but it, he, is your first creation, is he not? Reluctantly, Gwen nodded. Is it bad? Oh, quite the opposite, he assured her. For a beginner effort, it's more than possible. You have some natural talent. Who taught you? I don't recognize the technique. Gwen tried to think of an answer that didn't make her sound insane. After a few awkward moments, 
Nicodem held up a hand and shook his head. How do with me? You are, of course, entitled to your secrets. Where would we be without them after all? He sat terror down on the carriage floor, and the little dog shook himself, looked up at the man, and dove under Gwen's skirts. We needn't discuss it further. A pleasantly mild evening, isn't it? Nobody taught me, Gwen blurted, and it was like a dam breaking. Sometimes there's a voice, and it tells me secrets that nobody knows, and it tells me to do things, and it's like it's not really me doing them. And there's symbols and words I don't understand, but they feel right, and sometimes I just sort of know what to do, she wilted, running out of breath. Nicodem looked aghast. To lose the governance of your own mind? That must be terrifying. No, Gwen exclaimed. No, it's magnificent. When she... when I'm... When it's like that, there's so much power. I can do things. I can make things happen. She could feel her face becoming flushed with excitement. But I have to... I need to learn more. Could you... teach me? Nicodem seemed taken aback by her sudden intensity. Or perhaps the suggestion. Absolutely not, he declared firmly. But seeing her disappointment, he softened a little. It's not you, my dear. I'm just... Not in a position to take on a student right now. Terra poked his head out from between Gwen's feet and sneezed. On the other hand, Nicodem said thoughtfully, we do still have some way to go, and I must admit that your condition is intriguing. Perhaps I might offer a few suggestions. The only clear understanding Gwen gained from the remainder of the journey was that there was an awful lot about necromancy that she didn't know. Almost everything, it seemed. When Nicodem spoke, it was as though one of the great Impressionist painters was trying to explain how to capture the dappled play of sunlight to a child who'd just completed their first finger painting. She hoped that some of what he said would stay with her, and eventually she might come to understand it. There was almost a crowd as they stepped out of the carriage in front of the old opera house. Perhaps a dozen men, in various degrees of formal dress, were gathered in small groups, engaging in small talk or rampant boasting. What caught Gwen's attention, however, was the host of nightmarish creatures that lurched, crawled, slithered, or flapped aimlessly around the living guests. Every sight seemed to present some unique horror. Men, women, and animals transformed by the conspicuous violence of their deaths or collections of body parts so strange and disparate that Gwen couldn't begin to identify their species. Some of the creatures sported grafted limbs of brass and steel, carrying bulky steam boilers to drive oiled pistons. They were like sculptures, she realized, individualistic expressions of the necromancer's art. All of them were howling, moaning, screeching, and hissing in a dreadful cacophony. Gwen's heart nearly stopped as every undead creature fell silent and turned as one to stare at her. It took her a few seconds to realize that, of course, they were actually staring at Nicodem. As he walked, they parted smoothly before him. Gwen trailed in his wake, trying not to draw attention to herself, but she could hear the guests' whispered speculations as they passed. Nicodem's brought a girl with him. At the top of the stairs, a small man with a huge hat 
and an equally huge grin leaned against the wall, waiting. Nico, he called in greeting. Still wowing the masses with your cheap parlor tricks. Nicodem waved a hand dismissively, and the congregation of zombies resumed their aimless wandering and squalling. It never hurts to make an impression, Seamus. I'm sure you'll agree. Oh, I. Last impressions are always better, though. Speaking of, who's your lady friend? Don't be crude, Nicodem reprimanded, motioning for Gwen to step forward. She has an invitation. I merely provided transport. I assume this sordid spectacle is one of your schemes. Seamus doffed his hat. Guilty as charged. Then she is your guest, and it is your responsibility, Nicodem continued with grave emphasis, to see that she comes to no harm. Will you swear to that? You want swearing, with ladies present? Seamus' eyebrows waggled suggestively. I don't think that would be proper. The air around them seemed to grow colder. Swear it, Nicodem insisted. Fine, fine. I swear it should come to no harm, as far as I can see. You know this place is full of dangerous lunatics, right? Anyway. He turned to Gwen and bowed with a flourish. Mighty pleased to make your acquaintance, love. Fabulous dress. The blood splat is a beautiful bit of flair. I've got to talk to old Nick for a bit, but I hope I'll catch you later. He gave her a wink, then took Nicodem's arm and led him inside. Gwen stood alone on the steps, unsure of what to do. All right then, miss, said a voice directly behind her, making her jump. Turning, she recognized Nicodem's assistant, who thankfully seemed to have left his shovel with the carriage. How's about we do something fun, eh? I've heard tell there's a demonstration that's not to be missed. The assistant, somewhere in his constant chattering he'd mentioned his name was Mortimer, led her down into the bowels of the opera house, through a maze of tunnels that she imagined had once been used by performers and stagehands. Occasionally she managed to get a few words in edgewise. Will this be a necromantic demonstration? she interrupted. What? Nah, miss. We leave the mambo-jumbo to the iron mighties upstairs, mostly. They tend to get a bit, you know, focused and miss the little details, like where the bodies are coming from. Or how much they're paying their assistance, Mortimer replied, tapping the side of his nose. This one's a dissection. Very handy in our line of work. I am one of the high and mighties, damn it, Gwen thought to herself, and Terra growled as if echoing her statement. Here we are, then. Mortimer indicated a decaying wooden door. Blast. I think they've already started. That means we've missed the best bit. Still, always good for a laugh. Come on. The room they entered stank of blood. A portly man in a stained surgical apron was the centre of attention as he worked at an operating table. The partly dismembered body of a young man lay before him, and a crowd of roughly dressed men were craning to see what he was doing. Can be a right grisly bastard if you come at it the wrong way, but see this? A couple of quick cuts here and here and here, and hey presto! There was a grotesque tearing sound, and the surgeon hoisted aloft the cadaver's lower leg, ragged strips of skin hanging from the severed knee, to a round of applause. Taking a small bow, the demonstrator tossed a leg over the table onto a pile of body parts in front of the audience. Terror's self-control 
already strained by the smell of blood and the presence of so many people, snapped as the limb landed. He barreled through the crowd, causing shouts of confusion and surprise as he ran headfirst into legs and nipped at ankles. When he reached the pile, he grabbed the first thing he could carry, a disembodied hand, still wearing a wedding ring, and scampered away with it back towards Gwen. Aye, a man in the crowd shouted. I had dibs on that. Gwen grabbed Terra by the scruff and tried to pry the hand free, but he'd sunk his sharp little teeth into the bone and wouldn't let go. The crowd glared at Gwen, muttering, Get out, and blasted mutt. Gwen quickly ducked around the corner. Mortimer poked his head around the door as she leaned against the wall, catching her breath. Sorry, miss. Should have warned you. No dogs in the work area. It's more professional. Not to worry. We missed the best bit anyway. I better go smooth things over with the lads. Wait, what's the best bit? she asked. The bit where they make the fellow into the cadaver, miss. Mortimer's grin widened with happy memories. Another round of applause filtered out from behind him, and with a final wave of his hand, he withdrew. enjoyed this installment of Tales of Malifaux on the Breachside broadcast. Tune in next time for the conclusion of Dead Man's Ball.